Welcome to the Bethel Church Podcast. Each week you'll be able to check in for our messages from Sunday and other material. We hope that our messages encourage you in your walk in daily faith with Jesus. Make sure to check out our website, BethelStratford.org. morning we are going to wrap up our series step and our key verse for this series is Proverbs 16 verse 9 and it says this in their hearts humans plan their course but the Lord establishes their steps and so all of us we can plan we can prepare but God is going to guide each and every one of our steps and so as we wrap up this series are you guys, did you guys get stuff out of this series? Did this help you? Is this, just show me a little bit of a hand of like, yeah, I got some stuff out of this. All right, about a third of the room, awesome. Um, <laughs> did you get a prompting from Holy Spirit of a step that you were supposed to take this year? Is that you? Anybody's like, yeah, actually Holy Spirit's prompted me. All right, so less than a third, that's awesome. Um, did any of you listen to the messages we spoke on step? Anybody? All right, a little bit more than half the room. That's awesome. All right. So as we begin to wrap up this series today, I want to talk to you about the person in the Bible who I believe took some of the biggest steps. I believe took some of the biggest steps that we can follow, that we can see as an example. Also took steps to basically gave up a great life, sacrificed a lot. Uh, they were misunderstood in Bible times. They're still misunderstood today. And so as we wrap up this series, I actually want to look at the life of Jesus Christ and how he stepped up and how he stepped out. So Jesus stepped out of heaven, he stepped into a human form, he stepped onto earth, and he stepped up to the cross. And so this morning as we walk this through, I hope that his example to us, as we know we're supposed to follow his example, but I hope this morning it kind of spurs you on. And yesterday I was at a, a seminar and they talked about spurring on, and so if you know what that means, it means it should hurt a little. Not a lot of amens on that part when it comes to scripture, right? What we have to realize is the spurring on that God gives us, it should hurt a little. It should, when you hear the word of God, when you read the word of God, you should walk away from it every once in a while going, ouch, ouch. This is how he continues to mold and shape us to be like Christ. So let's just pray. Father, as we wrap up this series on step. As we look at your son, Jesus, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you can walk through this room and open ears and open hearts. That, Lord, we don't come to your house for just music and entertainment, but, Lord, we come to be shaped like Jesus Christ. And so we give you permission to speak to us this morning. I ask you, Holy Spirit, to hide me behind the cross. Speak through me this morning. Let the words I speak be your words. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first thing I want to talk about is how Jesus steps out of heaven. Jesus steps out of heaven. He steps out of heaven and he comes and talks to us. He becomes a part of us. Philippians 2 verse 6 to 8, it says this, Who being in the very nature God, 
did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. He made himself nothing. See, a lot of times I think when we read scripture and we see what Jesus did, we're like, well, he was the son of God. Of course he could do this. Of course he lived this way. He was the son of God. But scripture tells us that he laid that aside. He came to earth and was here just like you and I. I want you to pinch your neighbor. I tell you to pinch yourself, but it's more fun if you pinch your neighbor. Pinch your neighbor. Do you understand that if you were to pinch Jesus, if you were to pinch Jesus, he would say, ow. Do you understand that? If you were to pinch Jesus, he would say, ow. What he walked through, what he dealt with, the people that criticized him, the people that yelled at him, all of the things that you walked through, he walked through. To a point where it says he made himself nothing to the nature of a servant. Do you remember when the disciples and Jesus showed up and sat down for dinner and there was nobody there to wash their feet? So the disciples, being good students to their rabbi, to their teacher, all of them got down and washed Jesus' feet. I just want to see if you're actually listening. Only a couple people went, wait, that's not right. <laughs> no, what did the disciples do? See, some of us, this is why I'm going to talk about it later as well, but we have to read scripture like we don't know what's going on. Because see, when I say, what did the disciples do? I heard a couple people, well, Jesus washed their feet. Yes, but what did the disciples do first? they began to argue who should wash each other's feet. So let's bring this in today's context. Hey, church, we're doing this event. We need some volunteers. Somebody else will do it. <laughs> I heard that, oh, hear that spur? <laughs> right, that one hurt. Just so you're aware, this happens in staff meeting. Hey, this is a great idea. What staff is gonna look after it? Silence. Right? Like, let's be, I want you to understand, we're right there with you. But this is, when we hear the disciples and we're automatically like, oh yeah, they argued who should wash each other's feet. Most of us in the room are like, yeah, arrogant, prideful disciples. (laughs) Hey, we need volunteers for an event. Somebody else will do it. Right? Like, all of a sudden, what does that say? Ooh, I'm not willing to wash somebody else's feet. They should wash mine. And then what does Jesus do? Jesus gets up from the table. The one that if we're honest, 
should not have washed anybody's feet. Gets up, puts a towel around his waist. He doesn't wash Peter's feet. He doesn't just wash John's feet or Andrew's. He washes all of them. You know whose foot he washed? Feet, both. He didn't just do one. He didn't do half a job. Right? How many of us, we don't want to do a job and we do some of it and then we go, somebody else will do the other half. My kids, hey, can you unload the dishwasher? I'll do the top rack, but somebody else is doing the bottom rack. (laughs) I'll wash the left foot, but man, somebody else is doing that right one. Jesus washes Judas's feet. He knows who Judas is. So what happens when God tells you to serve the person who has criticized you? who has spread the rumor about you, who said something that wasn't true, who said something to you that wasn't nice, who didn't shake your hand. Who truthfully in their heart doesn't even know they did something wrong. Are you going to kneel down and wash their feet? Are you going to serve the way our Savior, Jesus Christ, taught us to serve. He came as a servant. When the disciples argued, when there's a role to fill, when there's a spot to serve, why not you? If you ask people that serve in different areas that feel that they're not qualified to serve, that is when they grow. Because they're forced to grow. Do we serve like Jesus taught us? Then Jesus, the second one is Jesus stepped into human form. He didn't just come to earth and serve. He stepped into a human form. John 1, 29, 30 says this. The next day, John, John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. John the Baptist knows who Jesus Christ is and refers to him as a man. A man. First Peter 2, 21 and 22, it says, To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. Jesus as a man came. He suffered just like you and I suffer. Just like you and I go through challenging times and difficult times, Jesus went through it. And he was able to do it with committing no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. 
And then Jesus comes and he steps on earth. Jesus steps on earth. But here's the amazing thing when he comes and he comes as a man and he steps on earth. He's teaching us how to serve and just like us, he lives life, but he does it perfectly. He didn't come to step on earth and step into human form to join us. He didn't come to just join us. He actually came to bring his father's love to us. I want you to read one verse of the Lord's Prayer with me. And I want you to see what Jesus' mission was. And it's Matthew 6, 10. It says this. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do you understand what that means? What Jesus is teaching us, what he is showing us, is that we have the ability as we pray this, that Lord, show us your will, what's happening in heaven, and let that happen here on earth. This is the part of this prayer. It's not just your will be done, your kingdom come, your will be done. That sounds nice, but on earth as it is in heaven, you don't wait to get to heaven, you bring heaven to earth. That means there's love. That means there's joy. That means there's peace. That means there's healing. That means there's grace. That means there's mercy. This is God's love that Jesus said, heaven on earth. This is what he came to do. He didn't come just to be a part of us. He came to show us what was supposed to happen. As Adam walked in the garden talking to God, as Jesus replaced and restored that relationship to us, you can walk and talk with the Father. Every day, you can have relationship with the Holy Spirit. You can have conversation with the Holy Spirit. You can ask questions and he actually answers you. Chat all the time, all the time. Scripture says pray without ceasing. Prayer is not a monologue. Prayer is a dialogue. I ask questions, he lets me, he answers. What we have to realize is if you ask a question to God and he doesn't answer, you should ask God what question you should be asking. I believe if he's not responding, you're not asking the right question. And it's okay to go, okay, Father, what should I be asking? Why do I think he responds all the time if we're asking the right questions? Because as an earthly father, I don't ignore my kids. Scripture tells me if my son asks for bread, do I give him a stone? No. There's a couple other things in that verse that's just not in my head. So one's a snake. I know that. I would never do that. <laughs> but it tells us that if you and I, as earthly Fathers, know better. How much more does God know? So therefore, if you ask God a question, I believe he will answer you. If he's not answering you, you need to ask him, okay, Father, what question should I be asking? He will tell you what question you ask, and then just the way it works is you don't sit there and wait because he told you the question. You actually ask the question, and then you let him answer the question. The problem is this. A lot of us come to God with a list, and we don't be quiet so he can talk. 
You ever have a conversation with somebody for coffee and at the end of the coffee, you're done, you go home and all of a sudden your spouse goes, so how was coffee? It was great. They talked a lot. But they never even asked you how you're doing. Have you ever asked God how he's doing? Just so you're aware, that's why scripture says faith like a child. Have you ever asked God, hey God, today I know I have all of this list that I would like from you. But just on the chance, is there anything you would like from me? Can I help you bring heaven to earth? And listen to what he says and then be faithful to be obedient. Jesus stepped up to the cross. Jesus steps up to the cross. Mark 10, verse 45, it says this, for, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You know, you pay a ransom when somebody's held captive. That's when you pay a ransom. You pay a ransom when somebody is held captive. So when Jesus came and he died for us on the cross and scripture says he paid a ransom, that is because you and I were held captive by sin. And it's his death that paid for that That's why through his death, as we read already in scripture this morning, that we are free from the control of sin. Here's the difficulty with that. That means when we sin, we actually make a choice. And that's why James tells us that we are led astray by our own evil desires. I hate that verse. Because that means I have to take ownership for what I do. Deep down, can I confess something to you? It is way easier for me if it's your fault. Just so we're all on the same page. Unless some of you are like, no, I don't blame anybody. Inside, I still blame people. Why? Because inside, I'm still a toddler. But we learned this in scripture. You think about it. God asked Adam, why did you eat the fruit? Eve. Eve, why did you eat the serpent? We come by this naturally. But that's why we're supposed to live not by our natural flesh, but by the spirit. So Jesus came, died, paid a ransom. It cost his life. It cost his life. Here's the amazing thing I love about Jesus and I love about my salvation and the gospel message is yes, I serve a living God who raised from the dead. But do you understand that when he died, that's when the curtain was ripped apart? That's when the relationship was restored? It wasn't restored when he raised from the dead. It was restored when he died. 
He raised from the dead just to defeat the enemy. He already paid the price. So we can stand today in victory because we serve a living God. Luke 9, 23, 24, and then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. People ask, I don't believe that we've been called to be Christians. That's my own conviction. When you read about Christians in the Bible for the first time, I just want you to know it was more of an insult. That's those Christians over there. We were called to be disciples. The reason we don't like to define ourselves as disciples is because the Bible tells us what disciples should be. The Bible doesn't tell us what Christians should be. So disciples are supposed to deny themselves. How many people like to deny yourself? I actually appreciate that there's less hands than got something out of the series. None of us do. That's why we call it disciplines to deny ourselves. See how disciplines sound like disciples? See how it all goes together. We become disciples when we have disciplines in our lives and we deny ourselves. This is what a disciple is. Somebody who will deny themselves. The next part. Take up their cross daily and follow me. I hate that word daily in there. (laughs) Anybody else? Like, don't you wish it was like, take up their cross Sundays (laughs) and follow me. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross Sundays and follow me. Too many of us, that's what we do. We have our Bibles with us on Sundays. We listen on Sundays. We pray on Sundays. But after that, we kind of slip back into our weekly normal lives. But it actually tells us to follow him, we have to do this daily. We are supposed to pick up our cross daily. Verse 24, whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. Do you understand how backwards this is to society's thought process? We are supposed to be counterculture. You're not supposed to fit in. Scripture says you're supposed to feel like an alien here. We are part of the world. We are in it, but we are not of it. Too many of us are of it. Does your coworker even see a difference? When your boss comes along and tells you, hey, here's what we're going to do from now on, and your coworker's like, that's such a stupid idea, are you right there going, that is the dumbest idea? Our boss is an idiot. Or do we have a different respect? Do we respond differently? What sets us apart? See, here's the thing. What should set you apart isn't just what you don't do. It should set you apart of what you do. What do you do that sets you apart? What is it that you do 
that sets you apart. John 5, verse 19, Jesus gave them this answer. This is how we're supposed to live our lives. This is why we're supposed to ask the Father questions. This is why we're supposed to hear from God. Because daily, I believe, we're supposed to ask the Father this question. God, what do you want me to do for today? Because this is what Jesus did. And he says, very truly I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son does also. He was obedient to death. See, here's the thing. I understand and I believe that there is no submission to God. There is no submission to your boss. There is no submission to any authority. There is no submission to your spouse until there is disagreement. Up to that point, we're all just in agreement. You know what I love, Bethel Church? I loved Pastor Chad and Melissa and the rest of the staff. And then all of a sudden we say, hey, here's what we should do. Or we say, hey, when people ask for volunteers and you're like, no, somebody else can wash other people's stinky feet. And we call that out as pride. And then all of a sudden you go, well, I don't really like him anymore. It's amazing how our attitude towards other people changes when we have disagreements. This is where our society has gone sideways because they don't believe we can disagree and still like each other. But in the church, do we show them different? I heard a pastor once say this, it's hard for people to believe that church is a safe place when people go out for lunch after Sunday morning service and enjoy a roasted pastor. <laughs> Do you realize that as waiters and waitresses, as people are walking by you or sitting in the booth beside you and they hear you talking, that they can actually hear you talking? Do we sound different? Do we show the world something different? Because here's the other thing that Jesus did. He stepped out to love. Jesus stepped out to love. John 8 verse 7 says this. And they kept on questioning him and he straightened up and he said to them, this is the story where Jesus is teaching and they, they drag a woman out of adultery and they pull her in front of Jesus and she's there naked in front of him and in front of everybody. Oddly enough, for adultery to happen, I believe there's two people. I could be wrong, but from my understanding, there's two. But it's only the lady that's dragged in front. And they're telling Jesus, what should we do? What should we do? What you have to understand is the law is very clear. There's not a question. You stone her to death. That's what the law says. And then Jesus, he straightens up. Because the moment it starts happening, he starts doodling in the sand. He is a teenager who is not paying attention. (laughs) 
I believe you're taking notes. He stands up and he looks at the crowd and he says this, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Now, here's the thing is in a church environment. Many of you have heard this story before. Or if you're new to church, you still might hear, oh, if you don't have sin, throw the first stone. You might have heard the statement. Here's what you have to understand. You need to stop reading the Bible like you know the end of the story. Because when Jesus stands up and he says this and says, any of you without sin, go ahead and throw the stone. What you have to realize is everybody standing there knows the law. This is not something that we read and go, oh yeah, remember this story? Oh yeah, they brought her. Oh yeah, who's without sin? All right, my devotions are done. This is revolutionary. This is counterculture. His disciples are standing there and he says, whichever one of you is without sin, go ahead and throw the first stone. And they're all like, what did he just say? Did somebody record that? Hey, can you repeat that? I just need to tweet this real quick. Let's, let's do a reel. Can you say it one more time? We read scripture and we go, oh, that's right. That's what he said. I think it's interesting if you continue reading, it says that they slowly dropped their stones and walked away. And who dropped them first? The older people. Do you know as Christians... We're still great at throwing stones. This is why I believe it's so hard for some of us to grow in our faith. Because we carry stones in our pockets. Because like I said, it's way easier for me to blame you. It's way easier for me to point out your faults because guess what? If you have a fault, it makes my fault feel better. You want to know why all those guys started dropping their stones? Because Jesus said, hey, whichever one of you is without sin, go ahead and throw it. And all of them started remembering their sins. And they started dropping their stones. See, we're really good at judging visual sins. What do I mean by visual sins? Sins that people can't hide. Because if we're honest, as we mature in life, you want to know what we become really good at? Hide and seek. I want you to think about a toddler. You're playing hide and seek, right? Where are you? I'm right here. And then they find you in a hiding spot. And the next time, where are they hiding? In your hiding spot. Little kids. Hey, who took the cookie? Some of them are pretty good at like, I did. You can read it in their face. They might say, not me. But they're like, not me. Or they're covered in chocolate. And they're like, not me. 
As we get older, we get better at hiding our sins. And then what we like to do is point out other people's sins so nobody's looking at us. Am I the only one? Anybody else driving down the highway on the 400 and speed limit's 100 kilometers, you're doing at least 120 and somebody bombs by you and you're like, man, they are speeding. I'm only doing 20 over. Because I believe if I have the cruise control sit at 19 kilometers over, the police won't bother me. Because it's 20 is the magic number. Do you see how fast we point at other people's sins? We see a young girl pregnant. She's not married. We pick up rocks. Meanwhile, how many of us were doing the same thing? We just didn't get caught. I know it gets quiet now because now we're not talking about funny speeding. Or somebody in the church is put into the same scenario and we turn our backs on them because, well, they should know better. And then a young woman walks through the door in the same situation, but's not a believer, and she's just trying to find help. And we wrap our loving arms around her. What does that say to our own? Because I'll tell you something. When I yell at my kids, when I'm a jerk to Melissa, do you want to know something? I know better. I still do it. Do we love differently? What does the world see from us? Do they see love and acceptance? Maybe some of us just forget where we came from. See, I remember still to this day, and I pray I never forget, because it's not condemnation that I'm talking about. I remember who I am without Jesus Christ. Because without Jesus Christ, I am a selfish jerk. I really appreciate that my wife didn't nod her head on that one. (laughs) Do we love as Jesus loves? When we love the way Jesus loves, it's culture shifting. When was the last time that you and I were gathered with a group of believers and there was so much supernatural bond between us that when, if a non-believer walked into the room, they would have to say, no way. I have never seen people love like that. I have never seen people forgive like that. I have never seen unity like that before. This is what Jesus died for. See, this is what's supposed to attract people to Jesus Christ. It's not music. It's not a great kids program. It's not a beautiful building. It's our love for one another. I've never seen love or forgiveness like this before. Matthew 28, 16 to 20, it says this. 
when the disciples, when the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples to all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. He commanded us to go. He commanded us to teach. He commanded us to love. This is what he came for. So we need to love. We need to step into situations with love. You need to step onto new territory in love. You need to step up in love. You need to step out in love. Jesus wants us to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. So let's stand together. Prayer team, if you'll come and stand across the front, but before we do this, what I, we're actually going to take a moment. I'm going to end a little differently. We're going to pray, but I'm actually not going to pray over you yet. As I believe that we are called to step in and step out and step up and step on in love for different people, I believe there's somebody in your life that God wants you to concentrate on. So we're going to pray and ask God, where and who is he asking you to love this year? And so if you will, if you just close your eyes, when God goes to speak to me, I don't want why. It's just natural for me to kind of open my hands. You don't have to do that. If you're distracted when you close your eyes, then keep your eyes open. But here's what I want you to pray. I want you to ask Heavenly Father. And some of you, as I'm saying this, you're like, Chad, I actually don't have to pray. He's already told me. But I want you just to pray and ask, Father, who am I supposed to love this year? Because I think it's a fairly simple prayer, I believe he's already spoken to all of you. And I believe you have a name. So now here's the part that comes back on us. Here's what I would like you to commit to. So you're agreeing with God. You've got a name and you're like, okay, God, you've given me the name. Here's what I'm committing to. I want you to commit to praying for them daily. Because just so you're aware, when we pray for people, it actually stirs our heart for them. I want you to commit to praying for them. I want you to commit to connecting with them. What do I mean by that? I want you to have a coffee with them. I want you to have them over. I'm not saying every day. Don't be a nuisance. <laughs> but love on them. Connect with them. I want you to care for them. If you find out there's a need in their life, pray for them, but find out how you can be a part of meeting that need. Now we're going to step into some territory that's a little bit maybe risky for some of you. But I want you to invite them to Easter weekend, whether it's Good Friday or Easter Sunday. I want you to invite them. The worst they're going to say is no. Hey, would you like to come join us for Easter service? No. Okay. 
See how simple that is? That's how simple it is. Where it gets unsimple is, would you like to come join us for Easter this Sunday? No. Well, why not? Don't do that. They say no. Just be like, okay, no problem. Hey, if if you're remotely interested, you could check it out online. It's that simple. And then invest in them over the summer, the spring and summer. Invest in them. Spend time with them. Pray for them. If they have a need and they're talking to you, ask them if you could pray for them. The worst they're going to say is no. In all of my life, I've had one person turn down prayer. One. That's it. And all they said was, when I said, hey, can I pray with you? I'd rather not. To which I was like, okay, just so you know, I will be praying for you. (laughs) Most of them won't say no. And if they say no, just be like, okay, I just want you to know I will be praying. And then here's the other part. As you're praying, as you're connecting, as you're investing in them, I want you to then invite them to our kickoff service in September. It's easy. We're outside. We have food trucks and bouncy castles. Lord willing, beaver tails. These are simple things. Chad, it's so simple because you're a pastor. No. Because I know people like beaver tails. I'm sorry to tell you, and this is where I'm going to offend so many of you. We don't bring in beaver tails for you. We bring it in for your neighbor. You can have some too. (laughs) Guys, this is how we love. We love by meeting simple needs, being a friend, being a connection. If you are not doing these things before Easter, do not invite them to Easter. You need to invest before you invite. So let's pray. If you've come this morning and you need prayer, these people across the front want to pray with you. If you're like, hey, God put a name on my heart, but Chad, you know how you said Jesus washed Judas's feet? The name that God gave me, it's Judas. And I'm not sure how to deal with it. Come and let them pray with you. They will pray for you. And they will walk you through it. And we will strengthen together as we love people. So Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for how amazingly you spoke today and showed up and changed people's lives and hearts. Lord, I pray as we have names in our hearts and names in our minds, that Lord, as we walk through this year, that you will help us to be strengthened, to be able to share, show us open doors, show us open windows that Lord, we can speak into, that we can love, help us to meet needs in practical ways, help us to invest in other people's lives. Lord, I pray for a stirring in our hearts to just begin to invite and invest in one person, that Lord, we can be a light for them. And so Lord, let us be your light to this world, to our neighbors. Help it start in us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful day. If you would like prayer, go receive prayer at the front. Thanks for checking out this week's message, Bethel Church Podcast. We hope that it's blessed you and encouraged you and that you come back and check out next week's message as well. 